0: Good morning, Bethel. Why don't we bow together and uh, come before God as we open up his word. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this moment, even right now, that we have to come uniting our hearts together and preparing to hear from you. Thank you for your word, which is good and right and true. And as we look at it today, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. There's a story of a hardworking lumberjack from way up in the sticks in northern Ontario. Day in, day out for his whole life, he worked in the woods, cutting down trees and loading timbers onto the trucks. One day, he started to have a bit of a headache, a headache that just wouldn't let up. And his wife began to notice this when he would come home each day from work. She'd see him wincing and, and popping Tylenols like chiclets, and just nothing would take the edge off. And, and she urged him and encouraged him. He need to go see a doctor. And he just, ah, oh, no, no, they don't know anything, what they're talking about. I'm fine. A few months of this, and then his balance started to go. The first time it showed itself, he, he tripped on one of the trees out in the forest. and had to take the rest of the day off, came home early. A couple weeks later, he had a more serious spill, and it was a couple of weeks off from the woods. And again, his, his wife urged him, you need to go see a doctor and see what's going on. And he just said, I'm fine. Refused. Then it moved to his behaviors. His, his attitudes and his behaviors, moods started to shift, irritable and angry and distant His ability to focus started to really wane. But no matter how much his wife urged and pleaded and pushed, you got to go see a doctor. He He just kept resisting and resisting. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Until finally one morning when his alarm clock went off, he didn't wake up. And the brain tumor that had been trying to show itself for months finally took his life. How many have ever heard the saying, ignorance is bliss? If you can do a show of hands through your screen right now, how many have heard that saying, Is that really true? Is ignorance really bliss when, when you find yourself in the midst of a life-threatening situation, when, when all these warning signs are going on around you and, and you just decide, you know what, I'd rather just plead ignorance and ignore it and deny it and suppress it. Is, is that really the better way to go? Today, we're going to be looking into the second chapter of the book of Romans, the letter to the church in Rome in our Bibles today. Grab your Bibles out and turn with me there. And I've titled this morning's message, Is Ignorance Really Bliss? Because we act just like that lumberjack when it comes to the heart of what we see here in this text. The big idea from Romans chapter 2, if you were to kind of put this into one sentence, what we're going to see out of this whole chapter, it's this. God has the right to judge and is right in his judgment. But when it comes to this whole topic of God's judgment, we, we act like ignorance is bliss. We, we think, I, I don't need to worry about that. I'm not going to bother with all this judgment of God stuff. Just suppress, suppress, ignore. And I don't know, maybe it's because we think we're pretty good people and we don't need to really worry about that. Or maybe it's because we're like, well, I'm a Christian. I'm watching a church service here. I don't need to talk about all this judgment of God stuff. Or maybe it's like, well, that's just so like ancient and archaic and from like bygone eras and we've moved beyond that, haven't we? Or maybe it's just like life is so busy, 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 busy that you just don't even have time or space or room to think about it. Or, or maybe your life is so go, go, go because you just keep trying to suppress and push aside and ignore Deep, serious reflection on something like this today. The saying goes, ignorance is bliss. But I I am going to say, I think that's dead wrong. I think that's dead wrong. God's word here teaches us, brings to the forefront that ignorance is not bliss. But we need to learn and see and be taught that God has the right to judge and is right in his judgments. We need to take note of this, friends. And so I'm going to suggest to understand the text that we're going to look at. Here, here's what we're going to do. I, I want you to envision as we read through this portion of God's word, that there is like a conversation going on. Okay. There's like a back and forth dialogue to understand. I think the flow of thought, the flow of the argument here, we, we see this sort of like back and forth engagement. Sometimes it's explicit, but sometimes it's just sort of hidden through woven through the text that really helps us to understand and glean what's going on. See in chapter one, Back when we looked at the first couple weeks of our study, God has said, I gave the world over to the passions of their flesh to do what they wanted. And I I warned the world, it's going to cost you. But the world has ignored God's warning. And God says, I I warned you and I, I will not let this go. I won't let you get away with it. Chapter 2 begins this sort of dialogue with this kind of sentiment of like, yeah, whatever. Like, we don't really need to worry about God's judgment, do we? Because, I mean, like, first of all, after all, I'm a pretty good person. Aren't I? That's where the conversation here, the back and forth, really kind of starts. I don't need to get all caught up in all this judgment and punishment and, and all that kind of stuff because I'm not... I'm not that bad of a person. I haven't done that many wrong things. I mean, sure, there are certainly some crazy lunatics out in the world who this might relate to, but but I've generally lived a pretty good life, and I'm a pretty good person. And God sort of knows this is what's underneath the surface, even though not stated. And so he begins the conversation with a response to that very sentiment. Verse 1, You... Therefore, you have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things... Do you think you will escape God's judgment? You you think you're a really good person, do you? You you think what you've done with your life isn't that bad or that big of a deal? Is is that kind of what you're saying? That, That you can just kind of make some excuses, except we've all got blind spots, friends. See, you go to work and you see Sally and the, the way she just seems to kind of bounce around flirtatiously from one guy to the next to the next. The way she dresses, the way she acts, the way she speaks. And, and you watch from a distance and, and you just kind of scoff under your breath. at Like, look, well, man, you look so pathetic. Do you have any idea? how sad it is to watch you chasing after this attention? Do you not have any self-respect? Do you not have any sense of worth? Do you not see how how all these flirting and chasing and guys are going to give you maybe a little bit of attention, but it's never going to really satisfy you? What's wrong with you, Sally? Except you are the one who carefully curates every single picture that goes up on your Instagram or your Facebook or on, you know, whatever it is. You you only put forward the pictures of you and your family and your kids that, that make it look like everything is perfect. You check the comments to see who likes and who who makes that glowing comment. Every picture, every selfie has the perfect filter on it so that your skin is just glowing in just the right way because you are craving the very same fleeting and unsatisfying attention that Sally is going after amongst those men. Don't you see or, or you go out for wings with some buddies and while you're sitting there in the restaurant, you see that guy sitting up at the bar, slouching over his drink in his usual seat because he's there every single night. And, and and you look at him and just think, man, what's wrong with you? Don't you realize that that, that glass is never going to bring you the the peace or the relief or the, the you know, he, he's, he's chasing after something. He's suppressing something. He's running from something. He's longing for something. And doesn't he realize how foolish it is to think that the drink is going to actually help him? Except out in the parking lot while you're eating your wings is your brand new pickup truck or you just put your house up for sale to get the bigger, newer, shinier one, because you are chasing the exact same craving. You are trying to ignore, and so if I just had this truck, if I just get this car, if I just got that boat, if I just get this raise. Then maybe I'll be satisfied. Then maybe I'll be happy. Then maybe I'll be numbed from all the feelings that I'm trying to hold back. And you feel the exact same thing as that guy you're looking down your nose at who's sitting there at the bar. We say to God, I'm a pretty good person. I don't deserve to be judged, to which God says, when you, a mere man, Pass judgment on others and yet do the same things, do you think you're gonna escape God's judgment? God has the right to judge, and he is right in his judgments. To which the dialogue, I don't know if I really buy that. I, I, I mean, if God is really gonna judge the world, well. Nothing's happened to me yet. It's not like lightning bolts are coming from heaven and, you know, zapping me in the moment. Or I hear you say, you're supposed to live this way and not that. You're not supposed to love that person. You're not supposed to live that lifestyle. You're not supposed to do this or that. And yet, when I look at my life for the first time, I actually feel like I'm getting to be who I'm really made to be. I get, I feel like I'm actually being real to the true me and, and it feels good. What do you mean? God's going to judge me. Look with me back in our text. Verse four, do you, do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance. Do you, do you not realize that, that the kindness of God and the, the peace of your life at this moment is not license, but it's mercy. The word contempt here, it means to despise, to look down on. We despise the thought of God's judgment and we don't realize that the moment we find ourselves in right now is not freedom to and a, and a, a blessing upon us to keep pursuing the life that we've got, but it's mercy. It's kindness. Way up here in Canada, we don't and especially in Ontario we don't see the impact of this too much but maybe over the last couple of months in the news you've seen reports of you know the the season September October every single year down in the Caribbean, Florida, up kind of the east coast of all the hurricanes that come through and bombard the the coast there one of the craziest features in my my mind about hurricanes is the eye of these storms. The, these storms, and I mean, we've all seen the pictures and, and read the, the reports at different times, right? These storms that can be, be just gigantic, right? That, that have winds flying around at, you know, 100 plus miles an hour, that have torrential rains and hail and all kinds of stuff that's going on. And it's just wreaking havoc everywhere they go. And yet right in the center Of these storms, I don't know if you've ever like Googled some of these pictures before or something. But but in the center of these colossal mammoth storms, the eye of the hurricane is totally calm. You can find these pictures where in the center of this hurricane, you look up into the sky and it's clear, blue, calm, as anything, a serene moment. Now, if you lived, dear friend, in Florida, in the middle of a hurricane that is bombarding the coast, And you landed yourself right in the midst of the eye of the hurricane. And you come to that moment where now all of a sudden all the noise just stops and all the wind ceases and all there is is calm. And you walk outside and you look up into the sky and you see blue sky and clouds are gone. You would not for a moment dare think everything is fine now. Let's pull out our beach chair and chill, right? Friends, when we experience the kind, tolerant, patience of God, not giving us immediately what we deserve, it is not a license saying, oh, what you're pursuing right now is great. Just keep going with it. That must be the right path to take. That moment is given to us what the word is saying right here in front of us to lead us to repent, to lead us to repentance. It is our heavenly father holding out his hand saying, come back, come back to me. Don't keep running. I'm not giving you what you deserve so that you would return to me so that you would stop running away and Turn back. But, verse 5 continues, Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. See, everything is not just fine as you keep going in rebellion against the Lord, you're building up a pile of more and more righteous punishment that is going to come one day. On the day when Jesus returns, it is all going to be revealed all that you have done with your life, and we are all, every single one of us, you, me, all of us, we will all be held to account when all of our deeds have been revealed. We will be held to account by Jesus. And friend, can I just say in love, like personally to you right now from your home, God's kindness and patience to you He's his running back over and over and over and reaching out his hands to you while you are in the muck and saying, come, I will help pull you out. Listen to his voice. Because that, that inclination in your heart of, of desiring to run back with conviction into the hands of God that you keep ignoring, that inclination is not going to stay there forever. That, that sense of a softness of heart of, of, yeah, I need to run back to you, God, is just going to keep getting colder and harder and harder until finally you're just not even going to hear his voice anymore. You're not even going to follow his direction anymore. And God, in his kindness, is giving you the invitation to run back into his arms of mercy. Friend, don't keep brushing that off. God has the right to judge and is right in his judgment. But, but we might say, well, that's not, that's not fair for you to judge me. That's not fair for you to judge me. How dare you? Who do you think you are judging me? Verse six, God will give to each person according to what he or she has done. See, our God is fair, friends. He will not do anything more than hold each one of us accountable for what each one of us have done. He, he's not some, you know, like angry, vindictive guy that's just like out to blow off some steam on whoever he can find. He, he's not some like wounded person just looking for somebody else to wound. He, he's not got, you know, like a whole bunch of history of baggage that he's just trying to find a scapegoat to lay out on or a punching bag for. Our God is fair Our God is a good and fair judge Verse seven to those who by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. We we see here this dynamic coming out that we talked about a few weeks ago in the introduction. And it's going to actually rear its head a number of times as we journey through this book here. This tension between the Jewish and the non-Jewish, the Gentile Christians that are part of this church and the challenges are going on between them. And now for us reading it here today largely if not almost entirely we are a gentile congregation we're we're men and women young and old who are not from jewish ethnic families and so we might at first think well this particular angle doesn't really relate to us because we don't have that dynamic. But but before you go too far down that road, what you need to know is we are just like these brothers and sisters. And even though it may not be the Jew-Gentile tension between us, we have people stuff between us that God is wanting to speak right into our hearts as well and to remind us that although we might struggle with prejudices and we might struggle with bias and we might struggle with injustice, our God... Is fair here and now. God does not look at people differently because of the color of their skin or the accent of their voice. God does not look at people differently because of the family heritage they come from. God does not look at people differently because of who they associate with. Hear this. God does not look at people differently because of the label they might embrace upon themselves and their lifestyle. God doesn't look at anybody differently. God is fair. But hear this. God is a fair judge. He is going to examine every single one of our lives Fairly, absolutely, but he is going to examine and hold us to account. God has the right to judge and is right in his judgment. Now you might say, well, based on what? Based on what are you going to judge me? By what standard? According to whose rules are you going to judge me? Verse 12, it says, All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. Here's the point. God is going to judge each one of us justly and fairly, and even by the most fair and the most charitable standards, we are all going to fall so far short. God's laid out a standard. That's what he's talking about when he talks about the law there. That's the standard. He's talking about the Bible And for for the Jews, it would have been the Old Testament part of the Bible. For it is not those who hear the law, verse 13 says, who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Just because you've heard the word of God, just because you know the stories, just because you can sing the Sunday school songs, doesn't, isn't good enough. Here's how you're going to be judged. Did you do it? Did you obey what you know to be true? Did you follow through on what you know God has called you to from his word? That's what you will be judged by. But God is fair because you might say, well, what about the people who've never heard the word of God? What about the people who don't have a Bible? What about people who didn't grow up going to church? And learning about God and his stories and his ways and his guidance and his direction. Verse 14, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law, when they do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves. Even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are actually written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. Friends, If you've never heard the Bible, Paul is saying here, if you've you've never been exposed to God's word, if you've never heard the stories at church, you've never been exposed to the guidance of God given to us in this book, guess what? He gave you a conscience. Guess what? He's he's given inclinations to your heart on how you are to live and the way that you live your life and treat other people and the expectations you have upon others for how they treat you demonstrates that God has placed this upon your heart. And so even if God only holds you accountable for for the law and the requirements and the conscience that is upon your heart, even if that's all he looks at. He doesn't even look at this book, but if he just looks at the standards that you lay out for others, you and I, we fall so far short of even our own standards. And this, verse 16 says, will take place. We will be judged fairly on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ. As my gospel declares, God has the right to judge and is right in his judgments. But as this conviction starts to get closer and closer and closer towards our hearts. You you can see the sentiment, the thinking, the flow of thought of our text goes to this sort of like plea, this, this objection. Look at all that I've done for you though, God. Look look at all the things that I've done for you in my life. Look at how I have lived my life. Look at all the ways that I have tried to have a positive impact on other people and pointed other people to a better way of living. Verse 17, now, if you call yourself a Jew, God says. And let me just pause there again for a quick second, okay? In one sense, as we've already identified and said and seen in this letter, the original context here, there's this dynamic of Jews and Gentiles going on, okay? And and I, I don't want to overly simplify that. I don't want to flatten the nuance that is significant in this text. And we will see as we journey on through this book that there are significant reasons to really mine and understand and dig into the difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. But at this moment for us, in this chapter in the flow, of thinking here, we can very reasonably, I think, actually put in when we read the word Jew here, we can can read into that and see ourselves in this very legitimately to say the people of God. When we read through this, and let me read through here, and when you see that, let, let, let me read into this where it says the people of God, because the Jews were the people of God, for sure, but, but we actually will begin to see how much we are very similar to them, even though we might be Gentiles. Verse 17, now you, if you call yourself a man or woman of the people of God, if you rely on the law, I brag about your relationship to God, if, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher for infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then, who teach others, Do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say to others, to people who should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Do you who claim the name of God and point others to God and call others to follow God's ways and to walk faithfully with God, do do you, do you follow your own words? When you're at home and it's just your wife and kids, do they see the same guy that we see singing and praying and worshiping on Sunday morning? Do you follow your own words? Do the people at work hear the same language from your lips that we hear in small group? Or to put it the other way around, and more likely... Do we in small group hear the same language that comes off of your lips when you're at work? Do you live this out? Years ago, I got hit like square in the forehead with a two by four on this one. When I was in university, I worked at a golf course for a number of years and uh, I had, recently come to Christ. Been a Christian for about a year and I was really excited about Jesus and passionate about following him and, you know, you know, like 19, 20 year old guy trying to reach out to these coworkers at the golf course that I worked at, trying to be an example to point them to Christ. And I remember particularly one day talking to one of the guys I worked with, his name was Trevor. And And sharing a little bit about my testimony about how I'd come to know Jesus, and we started having this spiritual conversation, and then he started asking some questions and then, and then he asked me this question as he started to ask me about you know about dating and, and girlfriend and relationships and all this kind of stuff, and I was saying, you know, God desires for us to be pure and and we don't have sex before marriage because that's not what God intends, and in fact, even if we look at someone with lustful intent, Jesus says, that's actually like committing adultery in our hearts, and then he says. This one. Well, Alan, if that's true, why, when the beverage cart girl drove by the other day, did I see you checking her out? <sighs> like, frankly, I didn't even remember. But I, I knew he wasn't just making it up. And, and I tried to explain a little bit. Of, <laughs> you're probably right. And like, I messed up and I'm a failure and that's why Jesus came. And But, but here was the bottom line. As soon as he saw my hypocrisy, the whole spiritual conversation shut down and he wanted nothing more to do with me or with my faith because he's like, you're not even legitimately living out what you say. Why would I ever listen to you? And I never had another conversation that went anywhere with Trevor trying to be a witness because I didn't live out my words. That's 20 plus years ago. And that still haunts me to this day. See, friends, I was a hypocrite. Let's be honest. I still am a hypocrite. Let's be even more honest. Every single one of us are hypocrites. And none of us follow through on what we say. We believe. None of us are perfect. God is right in his judgment, and has the right to judge us, friends. Verse 28 says, A man is not a Jew. You can read again in there. A man is not one of the people of God if he is one simply outwardly. Nor is circumcision, that was the physical sign for men who were Jewish, nor is Is circumcision merely outward and physical? No, a man is a Jew. A man is a person of God if he is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from God, but from men. Here's the bottom line as we come to the end of this chapter and the conversation that's been going on. Here's the bottom line point. God is looking at your inner being. God is looking at your inner being. God is looking at my inner being. The God of the universe, he knows you. He knows you. He knows all of you. He sees all of you. He sees all that you've done. And he's not just looking at the outer facade that you put up. And he's not just concerned about the good impression that you can give on a Sunday morning or Tuesday night at small group. He's not just looking at, you know, all of this outer stuff. He's not just concerned about the behaviors we can put on when everybody's watching. God is looking at your inner being. God is not fooled. God is not mocked. God sees the real, the deep, the true inner you. And that is who he is going to hold to account. God is right to judge and he is right in judgment. We can say, I'm a pretty good person. I've lived a pretty good life, but we don't have excuses. We can get lulled into thinking nothing's happened yet. It must mean that the way I'm living, which makes me feel good in this moment right now is good. We can try to say, you're not fair to judge me, God. We can object based on what? Whose standards? How dare you judge me? We can plead, look at all the work that I've done for you. Look at all the good things that I have done. But God peels away all the layers and he looks right at the inner you and me. He isn't fooled. He isn't tricked. And when it comes right down to it, the God of the universe is going to have each and every one of us stand in front of him. And he is right to judge us and his judgment will be right. Who can stand before that? Honestly, friends, Who of us have any hope? Who of us have any ability to stand before the perfect and holy God of the universe who can see right to the very depths of our hearts? Who can stand before that good judge? Who can have any confidence on our own? We are hopeless. We are helpless. And we are guilty. We've done wrong. And living as if ignorance is bliss is not the answer. The only answer. Our only hope. Do you know who it is? It's Jesus. Our only hope on that day when we Stand before the God of the universe is Jesus. I love the words of this old hymn, and maybe even as I read just the first verse, you will begin to hear the tune in your head. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I Holy trust in Jesus' name. Friends, today, let each one of us run to our only hope, Jesus.